Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the Miss Tyler version, the MTV, which is the Christian Standard Bible rephrased so that it's easier for kids to understand. Now, I did a video series about Hanukkah years ago, so I'm not going to do a lot of history on it. But I do want to talk about the lessons of Hanukkah, and the first lesson is loyalty. You see, the only reason that Hanukkah ever happened in the first place was because the Jewish people living in the land of Israel were being told to change their loyalty from God to a wicked emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes. But I do need to go back a bit to give you some context. In 586 BCE, the city of Jerusalem and the temple that Solomon built were both finally destroyed. And all of the treasures of the city and temple were taken away to a place called Babylon. Not only that, but all except the very poorest of the people were too. They were left behind to keep doing the farming. Lucky them, eh? They got to stay home while all the rich and educated people were forced to walk from Judah to Babylon. And that probably took at least three months. Can you even imagine? And it wasn't like they got to take their stuff because they were exiles and refugees. They were people who no longer had a home. About 50 years later, the king Cyrus the Great took over the Babylonian Empire, which became a part of the Medo-Persian Empire, and Cyrus allowed whoever among the Jews who wanted to go back home the opportunity to leave. Not many did, though, which is very sad because it made it that much harder for the ones who did go home to rebuild the walls and the city and the temple and to grow enough food. The people who were living in the land since they left made it really hard for them to do those things. Then about 200 years later, Alexander the Great took over the Holy Land without even firing a shot. In fact, he was welcomed at the city gates of Jerusalem by the most prominent men among the Jews. They were tired of being ruled by the Persians and figured they had nothing to lose. Besides, if they'd tried to resist, then they would have mostly ended up dead. Because they surrendered and welcomed him, Alexander was very happy and treated them well and allowed them to just live as they wanted. But then something bad happened. Alexander died a short time later and his kingdom was divided between his four generals who all set themselves up as kings. For a long time, two of those kingdoms, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, fought over who would have control over the Holy Land. Of course, they didn't want it because it was holy. They wanted it because no one could do business between Africa and Asia unless they went through the Holy Land. And that meant there was a lot of money to be made. Whoever controlled what is now called the Sacred Bridge, a.k.a. the Land of Israel, controlled almost all trade in the world as they knew it. Trade is a word that means the business that countries do with one another. Remember that Egypt made papyrus and grew wheat. 
and everyone wanted it. Some countries mined gold, and others bred cows and sheep and goats. Others specialized in spices. But anyone who wanted to do business in Egypt, or if Egypt wanted to do business with Asia or Europe, they needed to control that land or else they would be taxed like crazy. That means they'd be made to pay extra money to get their goods sold. Also, if somebody wanted to go to war, they also had to pass through there. It was what we call hot property. As real estate agents say, location, location, location. Israel was very small, but also very important to everyone. It was kind of the crossroads of the world at that time. Now, before we talk about what happened, I want to explain what loyalty is because it will be important. If you are loyal to someone or something, then you stick by them no matter what. Like, maybe if you have a friend and you would never do anything to hurt them, that's loyalty. Through the Bible, God told his people not to worship other gods, and if they did, then they were not loyal. Saul tried over and over again to kill David because he was not loyal to him, even though David hadn't ever done anything to hurt him. David was loyal to King Saul, but King Saul tried everything he could think of to get rid of David. Which is just messed up. In a few weeks, in the story of Abram, we see that he is loyal to Lot and will even take an army to save Lot when he gets himself into trouble. And it won't be the last time that Abraham shows loyalty to Lot by saving his life. We show our loyalty to God by following Jesus and keeping the commandments. So just remember... Loyalty is sticking with someone else no matter what happens. And so the Jews had a lot of trouble in those days when the Ptolemies and the Seleucids were fighting over who got their land. For about 150 years, actually. And then a dude named Antiochus Epiphanes became emperor over the Seleucid Empire to the north. And he wasn't as reasonable as Alexander the Great. Not by a long shot. and Not as smart, either. And here's where things got really complicated in a hurry because there were some Jews who decided they weren't really keen on living lives faithful to God anymore. Instead, they really loved Greek culture, which wasn't all bad, you know, don't get me wrong. But they wanted things like gymnasiums where men exercised and wrestled with no clothes on. I would personally never wrestle with anyone who wasn't wearing clothes. That's just nasty as heck. And then there was another man named Jason who wanted to be the high priest of the temple because he wasn't loyal to the priest they already had, who was actually his own brother. I know, super awkward, right? Jason decided to buy his brother's job, so he gave this Antiochus guy a ton of money to have it, and his brother had to leave the country. But then three years later, another dude paid even more money, and he got the job, and Jason got booted. One thing led to another, and before you know it, because of some disastrous decisions and a terrible misunderstanding caused by that disloyal brother Jason again, the emperor ended up going through Jerusalem and the temple of God and stealing a ton of money, and so many people were killed. And then the Jews who wanted to be Greek didn't want to have to follow the commandments anymore. People started doing messed up things in the temple, like offering pigs on God's altar. 
which God said they must never do. All of a sudden, it became illegal to keep the commandments and they were forced to eat pork, which the Bible says is a big no-no. In fact, the Greeks began killing people who were keeping God's rules. You see, there were a lot of people who were loyal to God, even though they knew it could get them killed, but they didn't think their lives were worth anything if they weren't staying loyal to God. Do you agree with them? I sure do. We must always listen to what God says, no matter what. There are people in other countries who get hurt very badly because they are so loyal to Jesus. Following Jesus is against the law in many places, and people who worship other gods will kill anyone who doesn't. This was only the second time in history that people were being killed for just being Jews, but it was the first time they were being killed for keeping God's commandments. And that's really sad, right? But Jesus told his followers that if anyone wants to follow me, which means to obey him and do what he says, they need to stop living just for themselves and take up their cross, which means they have to be willing to give up everything else and follow me. Whoever's just determined to live no matter what the cost won't be really living at all. But whoever gives up their life because of me will truly be alive. That's not just right now, but forever. What good does it do anyone if they get everything they want but aren't really alive now or forever? What could you ever really trade anyone for your life? The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will reward every person for what and for how much they have done. And that's Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. I know that might have sound kind of scary, but that's what loyalty to God through his son Jesus looks like. God wanted Israel to know how he felt about them. He would say something like, I want you to be totally loyal and devoted to me. I want you to love me like I love you. I want you to look at everything in the world that people want even their own lives, and see it like poopy diapers compared to me. Our life isn't just what we have before we're dead. Our life is also the way that we choose to live. You guys are kids right now, and so you can't just make any choice you want, but as you get older, you are going to be making choices about what kind of human being you are going to become. God tells us, I want you to be like me so that people can see how much I love them and care for them. In a way, when we say yes to that and do that, we're giving up our rights to live however we want. When we become more like him, we are becoming less like the bad parts of us. We end up giving up our lives or the parts of our lives when they don't look anything like how wonderful God is. I was 29 years old when I started to live for God. And believe me, if you wait that long, there's going to be a lot to change. You guys are very lucky that you're getting to learn to live for him right now. It means that you get to know what it is to really be alive right now. Isn't that amazing? That's what loyalty looks like. When we're loyal to God, we do everything we can to make him happy by looking more and more like him. We want him to be loved and not hated because of the things that, you know, we do to others. Looking like him doesn't mean we turn invisible. It means that the things we do look like the things God does. The good news is that we don't have to just do it on our own or figure out how. 
As we follow him, he whispers to us about what he wants to change, and when we cooperate, he can do amazing things. You know, sometimes I have gone to bed thinking one way and woke up thinking an entirely different way. But every single change makes me love people more and not less, makes me kinder and gentler and less angry and mean, and more able to forgive others and less likely to try and get back at the people who have hurt me. Those Jews who were living when all that bad stuff was happening were a whole lot more like you than like me. They knew God from the time they were born and had been following his commandments since they were little. They grew up understanding that if they were serving God, they couldn't always do things the way Antiochus, Epiphanes, or the rest of the world wanted them to. What if someone came around and told you that you can't love Jesus anymore? That you had to say terrible things about him or burn down a church or a synagogue or stop celebrating his holy days or had to give up your Bible? That's what happens to people right now in places like Iran, North Korea, Asia, and some parts of Africa. I'm very lucky that I've never had to make that kind of choice. But if I did, I hope I would choose the right thing. I want to be loyal to God, and He has been very kind to me always. Sometimes I know I disappoint Him, but what I never want to do is choose anything instead of Him. And that's the choice the Jews were forced to make. Like the good priest Mattathias, we should learn how important it is to do what is right. Almost 170 years before Jesus was born, in the town of Modin, lived a priest named Mattathias and his five sons, Judah, Jonathan, Eliezer, Simon, and John. They lived in that town with their families and at the three festivals and during two other weeks of the year, they served God at the temple in Jerusalem. Their family was called the Hasmoneans. I imagine they were very happy to be priests, serving God and helping the Jews. You see, not everyone could be a priest. To be a priest, you had to be a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses and Miriam. Aaron's family was given the honor of being priests because Aaron served God faithfully and loyally by going with Moses to Pharaoh and speaking the words of God right in his face. And they were not happy words. And it was dangerous work telling the Pharaoh what he did not want to hear. God wanted his people freed from slavery. God hates it when people oppress one another and no one should own anyone else. But because Aaron was so loyal to God, his family was set apart as holy for the priesthood and no one else could just decide to be a priest. It was their job to help the Israelites make their sacrifices at the temple and to light the menorah and bake the showbread. In fact, they did a lot of cooking because they had to eat some of every sacrifice so that God would accept it. Not much, though. It would have made them super sick. And so Matthias and his sons, if you looked at the family tree of all the priests, it would start with Aaron at the top. And by this time, the tree would have a lot of roots, I guess. <laughs> so this was a very big tree at this point. But when things got messed up in Jerusalem and the temple, Mattathias and his sons left and went home and didn't want to go back. They weren't going to sacrifice pigs on the altar because God said he didn't want them there. And to put them there would make the altar defiled. 
Defiled means that something isn't pure anymore. It's contaminated, messed up, ruined, or whatever. Things that are defiled can't just be given a bath and made okay again. Like, if you put poison in your soup, there's no way to remove that poison, so you can't eat the soup again, all right? You need to get something else to eat. Well, an altar is the same way, because once it is ruined, they couldn't make offerings to God on it anymore. Altars and soup aren't anything like people. When we sin, we can defile ourselves, and we can even wreck our lives big time. But when we ask God for forgiveness and change our lives so that we are not doing those things anymore, the blood of Jesus cleans us inside and out. So the altar was defiled, which means the priests had nothing to do at the temple anymore. And so they went home to the country. But you know, just because we leave a bad place doesn't mean it won't follow us all the way home. And that's exactly what happened to Mattathias and his sons. The evil king Antiochus Epiphanes had made all these laws that told the Jews that they couldn't be loyal to God anymore. They were only allowed to be loyal to Antiochus. And they had to prove it by doing things his way and not God's way. Of course, the king didn't come himself, but he sent some of his important men, his officers, and they went to Modin to meet with Mattathias because the old priest was very respected by the Jews. They made him an offer that they didn't think he could refuse. They said something like, Hey, Mattathias, we know you're a really great guy and everyone around here trusts you and respects you. And we know that whatever you do and whatever you're okay with, everyone else will be too. And the king, if you do the right thing and just offer this pig on the altar to our gods, he's going to make you and your family very important people and he will give you money and power and stuff and all that. Don't you want to be called the king's friend? Now, Mattathias knew that according to the laws of the Greeks, to say no would be to die. But he was a good and faithful servant to God, so he told them, no way. The Greeks were killing moms and babies and burning Bibles, so it isn't like killing an old priest was really going to upset them. Mattathias was very brave, and he trusted God. He knew that when he died, he would be resurrected again in the world to come and that he would be with God forever in paradise because God is loyal to the people who are loyal to him. There was nothing that the Greeks could give him that was as good as that. It would have been ridiculous to take money and stuff and miss out on life forever with God, right? Even though some people make that choice every day, Mattathias believed God and loved him, and so he wasn't even tempted. But there was another man in town who didn't love God as much, and he jumped up and was ready to sacrifice to the false gods of the Greeks, and Matthias had had enough. He wasn't going to let anyone in his town do such a terrible thing to God, and especially not in the land that God had given to their ancestors. That was a terrible insult to God. Maybe this man was afraid to die, or maybe having all that money and power sounded good to him. We will just never know. Mattathias killed him right then and there to stop him from doing such a horrible thing. He killed him right on the altar of the Greek god so that no one else could use it either. And then Mattathias killed the man whom the king had sent, and he tore up that altar too. 
For an old guy, he was pretty spry and strong when he was defending God and protecting the people of his town from making a terrible mistake. But of course, now he was in big trouble with the king, so he had to do something fast. He shouted to the town that everyone who loves God and his commandments should follow him, and they all ran and hid in the mountains. They had to leave everything behind except for their families and their animals. They were very brave and loyal to God, but sometimes it can cost us a lot to be true to him. They were willing to lose everything they had just so they could follow God, even if it meant dying, because they knew that if they saved their lives by giving in to Antiochus, it would be a terrible trade because they would be giving up their eternal lives with God. Life was very hard living in the wilderness. And what Mattathias did led to a war that lasted for many years. But all through that war, his army was faithful to God, and when he died, his son Judah led the troops. And it took years, but they went through the land, destroying the altars that had been built for the false gods, and they made sure that the people started obeying God again. Because they were so loyal to God, God was loyal to them, and they were able to drive their enemies out of Jerusalem and out of God's temple, and they rebuilt the altar that had been ruined. And they relit the menorah lamps, the temple, and made the showbread. And the people were so happy because they were able to serve God safely again in the areas where the Maccabean rebels, and that's what they called the followers of Judah Maccabeus, had driven out the Greeks. It took many more years before the Greeks gave up and went home. But on the 25th of the month of Kislev, in the winter, when the altar had been rebuilt and the menorah relit and the bread baked, the people celebrated their very first Hanukkah. The word Hanukkah comes from the word meaning dedication, and because they had removed everything that was dedicated to the Greek gods and had made everything new again, they rededicated the temple to God and celebrated for eight whole days. Why did they celebrate for eight days? Well, because they hadn't been able to celebrate God's festivals for years, and they suddenly could again. God's parties are all about honoring God and celebrating the wonderful things he's done. And so instead of waiting, they decided that they needed to do something right then and there to show God how thankful they were that his house had been given back to him, cleaned up, and all his enemies driven out. And they did that not only because they were so happy, but because of their loyalty to God. Why do we celebrate the Passover and the Lord's Supper? Because we're so grateful for our salvation. We celebrate the release of the children of Israel from slavery because of God's mighty miracles, and we celebrate what Jesus did for us at the cross. Why do we celebrate first fruits and the resurrection? Because the world changed forever when Jesus rose from the dead. Why do we celebrate Shavuot, or you might call it Pentecost, because that was the day that the children of Israel worshipped God at Mount Sinai, and also the day that God sent his Holy Spirit to everyone who was loyal to him. And he still does today. Why do we celebrate the fall festivals? Because we are happy that God is king of the universe, and he made Jesus the king of kings over all of us, and that someday when he returns... We will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles with him in Jerusalem. What a party that will be. But do you know what? We can also celebrate other things. Anytime that God does something amazing for us, 
we can have a celebration. July 2nd is Rosenquist Day at our house. It's the day that we were finally able to adopt our twins, Matthew and Andrew, and it was one of the happiest days of my life. And God made it happen. When we're being grateful, we're also being loyal. Anyway, I love you. I'm praying for you. How do you show your loyalty and gratitude to God and Jesus in your life? It's a good thing to think about. If you're enjoying this radio series, check out my Context for Kids curriculum series available on Amazon.com, where I tackle larger subjects that can't be covered in this format. I have volumes on the honor and shame culture of the biblical world, the scriptural covenants in their ancient Near Eastern context, and what it means to be made in God's image as part of our new creation lives. I also have context for adults for those difficult scriptural questions that kids ask, but only parents should answer.